Hello, this is Jeff from the At The Flicks team with an announcement before we start the show. In partnership with the upcoming online Cheltenham International Film Festival, which runs from the 24th of May to the 5th of June 2021, we have a special offer for you. 25% of any film you select to watch from the festival. That's right, a 25% discount. Thanks to Leslie Sheldon, the festival director. With a film selection from all around the world, there is something here for everyone. To take advantage of this generous offer, go to cheltfilm.com and select the film list for the 2021 festival. When you select a film, add the code ATF25 to get your 25% off the viewing price. As an added bonus, if you book before midnight on the 23rd of May, there are early bird discounts you can also apply. This discount applies to UK residents only, as the festival cannot be accessed outside of Great Britain. So, to repeat, use the ATF25 code and get the 25% off your ticket price. And now time to start the latest from your At The Flicks team. Hello and welcome to a very special discussion from your at the Flicks team. We are very honoured today to be joined by Gloucestershire's premier sports reporter John Palmer to talk sports movies. Hi John, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks Jeff. Nice to, nice to chat and I'm honoured to be on the podcast. Great to have you. Many years since we last spoke, I think. It has been, yeah. Probably 20, 15, 20 years, I would say. Yeah, possibly. 15, yeah, yeah. Back in the great days of the Cheltenham Odeon. Fantastic. But fondly time. remembered. <laughs> yes, very yes, much. Very, so. very. Now, so we're going to talk sports movies. But before we do that, I just want to share something uh, with you on this very subject. Now, one of our earlier shows, episode 13, it proved to be a little controversial on the subject of sports. We had a debate where I said there's no such thing as a sports movie. Now, the point I was trying to make was sport is an unpredictable real-time event, which is the very opposite of how a movie works with its planning, editing, etc. And the obvious exception being sports documentaries, which effectively forms an analysis on, a, on an event or a person. Now, I got my ass kicked big time to be quite honest, not only within the team, but our listeners, they all said I was just talking nonsense. Where do you stand on that discussion point, John? I think there's a film with Woody Harrelson that was filmed as live, wasn't there? So does that, even though it wasn't about sport, was that a kind of sport, that London, London-based yes, film with I Woody Harrelson? Yeah. I completely agree with what you say, but I will chat about this in detail, but several of my choices are documentary-style films, and I think there's a lot of bad sports films made where they just get it completely wrong, especially when it comes to football. I think it's yeah. very, 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 very difficult to do a football film convincingly. And I think there's actually a lot better films about American sports uh, in general than there are about uh, British, but we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that more later. But I, I think there are sports films, I think, uh, but I completely see your point. But I think documentaries where that analysis you spoke about and it's, it's behind-the-scenes footage, it's fly-on-the-wall, um, those are the ones that I enjoy rather than um, simulated crowds and things like that, which is so hard to do with any sort of convic conviction. 
So I'll also introduce on the podcast with us, we have Graham, uh, our ball carrier, if you will. Oh, <laughs> But again, before we go in, just a couple of other minor points of order. Cheltenham Town having a great season as we record this. They're top of the league. Shame the crowds aren't there, but really pleasing, I would say, John. Yeah, I mean, they've never gone up automatically from League Two before. So that's the challenge for this season. And by the time this podcast goes out, hopefully they'll be a little bit closer to that. But as we speak, they are top of the league with 15 games left. They've just beaten Southend 1-0. They're on a great run. Since they gave Man City a scare in the FA Cup, they've they've done really well in the league. And Michael Duff, who was playing for Cheltenham in the days when we used to regularly see each other at the Odeon, is doing a great job as manager. So I'm sure he's destined for bigger and better things. Hopefully he can get a promotion for Cheltenham before he moves on. But yeah, it's going really well. As you said, it's really sad that there's no fans. They had briefly a few fans back in December before the, the latest lockdown. That was when you realised how much of a difference the fans make. They had a 5-3 win over Exeter, first game back with fans, which was an absolute thriller, you know, real uh, treat for the fans that came back. And then real blow was Boxing Day, Stevenage at home. That was the first game where fans weren't allowed again due to the lockdown. And, you know, it's, it is a little bit flat, but I think I'll give the players credit for the way they're performing top of the league without any fans to cheer them on. They've just got to try and get the job done. Hopefully by the time the fans come back, they could be in League One. Oh, that'd be brilliant to see and very well deserved. Now, you also support a lot of great local causes and charities. Are there any you want to give a shout out to? Oh, it's dif- difficult to pick out. I could you know, spend hours on this, but I think the, the Holly Gazar Trust, I think, is one that I've, I've got an awful lot of time for. Her dad um, used to play for Cheltenham, Nick Gazard. She she was sadly uh, killed fairly recently, and he's done an incredible amount of work to raise awareness and raise funds, and Cheltenham Town have been involved in it. So I'd like to give the Holly Gazard Trust a mention. Sue Ryder is another one that I think is absolutely superb in, in the area. Mm-hmm. Difficult, difficult to pick out, um, but I'd say those two were the first two that spring to mind for me. Both great causes. I remember the Holly Gazard incident, which is absolutely horrifying. So, yeah, any support on that would be fantastic. Okay, Graham, put the ball down. Time to ring the bell because it's seconds out. <laughs> okay, I can see my role here for the whole You <laughs> just thought of all your jokes here, Jeff. Thanks. Well, remember, remember, though, I'm editing this. Has Mel Gibson made any sports movies? Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Um, I don't think he has, is he? No. Can't think of any. Um, no, he's made lots of balls up. <laughs> There's a running joke on the show about Graham being made a mistake once of saying how much he doesn't like Mel Gibson. So whenever we do film news, <laughs> I make him read out all the Mel Gibson, uh, or as he now refers to him as the Mel. And, um <laughs> No, he doesn't. (laughs) The fact that Mel Gibson had a Christmas film out this year was just the icing on the cake for our our show (laughs) in December. So it's just great. But we're going to go through your films now, not Graham's, because they'd be Mel, 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 um, and, and look at your top five sports movies and documentaries in reverse order. So what's number five? Yeah, just just thinking. I don't think there's any. I don't think Mel Gibson's going to get mentioned in any of these five. But at number five for me is the Damned United. I say I was the best manager in the country, uh, but I'm in the top one. Some fella in London, England, named some Brian, uh, Brian Clough. <laughs> this fella talks too much. Now Clough, I've had enough. Stop it. Oh. <laughs> oh well, don't start controversially then. <laughs> <laughs> Why that one? Because the film and book are very different. I've, I've read the book, 
And it, it takes a completely different approach to Brian Clough. And sorry, mm. I'd just say for our listeners, for those, certainly for those in America, the Damned United, uh, it's about Leeds United and a very controversial manager they had, John, isn't it? That's right. And I, I completely agree. The book is very different to the film, but two of my top five are uh, based on books. And I, I enjoyed the book, loved the book, um, and really, really looked forward to the film version when it came out, but also went to watch it with a little bit of trepidation, wondering what they'd do with it, because we can all think of plenty, plenty of examples of when uh, the film version has been nowhere near, you know, hasn't lived up to the book. I think Fever Pitch is a good example of that, where the book is brilliant, but the film didn't. I wouldn't say it was awful, but it didn't quite capture the the Nick Hornby mood, I didn't think. The Damned United, I think, succeeded. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've watched it many, many times. I think Michael Sheen does a superb job of recreating the character of Brian Clough, a unique character. I don't think he did it in a comical way because it could have easily become a caricature because of Clough's very unique mannerisms and way of speaking and way of talking to people. I thought Sheen did a brilliant job. I think Timothy Spall is great as Peter Taylor. Uh, oh, brilliant. He was brilliant in that role. I loved him in that. Absolutely thought he just, yeah, he stole every scene he was in. You know, he's just, he's meant to be like the minor character, but I just thought he was great. Yeah, totally agree, Graham. And uh, Jim Broadbent's in it as well as the, the chairman of Derby. I grew up um, loving Brian Clough. So Brian Clough was one of the sort of first managers that I really enjoyed following as a, as a young lad when he was at Forest. All the stuff that happened at Leeds, Derby, Hartlepool was long before my time. So when I first started following football, he'd, he'd already been in charge of Forest and had a couple of European Cup wins. But I always found him a fascinating character. And I've read a lot of books, biographies uh, about him and this film, I thought they, they did a great job of it. And it's just, uh, you know, really at the heart of it is a bitter rivalry, isn't it, between Clough and Revy, Don Revy. And that's yeah. where that's the main motivation for him going to Leeds to try and prove a point. I just thought was thoroughly entertaining. Some very amusing bits, some quite moving bits. But as football films go, I think it's one of the best. I agree with you. I think it's a great film. Is I watched the film first, and then I read after it that, Brian Clough's family would have nothing to do with the film, were just not interested. And I thought, well, in the film, he comes across as a sort of tragic hero. You know, he's trying to do the best that, that he can. And yet, so I thought, I went off and read the book, and it's a completely different perspective on it. And, and I can understand because, the, you know, the family's involvement or the family had read the book and then said, you know, if this is what's going to be filmed, we're not going to have anything to do with it. But it just takes just that different perspective. And I thought he does come out as a hero of the film. Yeah, I think he comes across a lot more positively in the film than he does in the book, doesn't he? And I think also knowing what he went on to achieve after what happened at Leeds also, I, I would say, makes it easier for the should should make it easier for the family to to see it in a positive light. But um, obviously it was a, a blip on his career. Yeah, great rivals, great talking points, Great cold wars in football, really, between those two. Very different to the book, but a successful adaptation, I thought, and just brilliant performances, great storytelling. And, yeah, I think Clough actually comes out of it quite well, considering some of the things he got up to uh, during his time at Leeds. Very short time at Leeds. Um, <laughs> and completely renamed the club. Yeah, it's now always referred to as the Dirty Leeds. <laughs> I was just going to say, Stephen Graham, makes an appearance as Billy Bremner, you know, before I really knew much about Stephen Graham, who's now gone on to be what I think is, you know, one of the great British actors. I think he's brilliant. And I quite enjoyed seeing him playing Billy Bremner in that film as well. 
Yes. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say, how how good he is in that role. And the way it shows footballers in the 70s and how they acted to, like, you know, the the, the, the honed athletes we have today. Exactly, yeah. A lot of people have tried, have tried to impersonate uh, Clough with the, with their managerial style, let alone the sort of, um, you know, impressionist, just with the way that he went about his managerial business and, he he was just a one-off. Absolutely, you know, never never see anything like it again. Should have managed England, in my opinion. Oh yeah, but yeah, I think he he was just a genius, really. And obviously, that was a, about his um, biggest failure. But I think if you look at his career as a whole, he was he was an absolute genius. Yeah, and I do agree. I mean, the fact that he was considered controversial in the in the seventies and the eighties. When you look at some of the figures now, <laughs> yeah, when we look back on that era, it, it, it's just astonishing. And, and you're right. I think he would have been great as a manager of England. Yeah. And even when he turned up on chat shows and things like that, everybody paid attention, you know, years afterwards, you know, oh, he's on a chat show. Oh, here we go. This will be interesting. This will be insightful. And because he was always so different and so controversial and had a, and a completely different perspective on everything he'd go, even when he was discussing football on the telly, you know, live or something like that, you'd think, Oh, I didn't see that. That's an interesting point he's made there. Or, you know, he's looking at how, how the, the shape of the team and things before that became very common to be mentioned. He was just a really different character. Loved him. Somebody I'd never tire of listening to talk about football, yeah. really. And he, he was, you know, you could just imagine being a player and just, you just would not, you just would not question him, would you? You wouldn't cross him. He was so quick witted yeah. and, and sharp tongued and just, I could just imagine him having everybody, you know, eating out of his palm, everyone on the same page. And that's obviously what you need to be to be a good manager. But a couple of people that I've got to know during my time covering Cheltenham played under Clough at Forest. And that just added to, you know, some of the stories that I've heard about some of the things he got up to, even even when he was coming towards the end and he was walking his dog around the training ground during training sessions and things like that. And obviously he not in good health towards the end, but no. still still had, you know, absolute respect. You know, he's got a road named after him, hasn't he? In between Derby and Nottingham, he's he's got the stand named after him at the at the city ground. That area of the country is just—he's just left an indelible mark on it. Derby, Nottingham, obviously didn't leave a indelible mark on Leeds, but fascinating to see how it all unfolded there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and it makes for a great film. Yeah. So for our, our American listeners, that's football, not soccer. <laughs> football. football. Okay, so that's a great choice. What we got next, John? So number four for me is Rocky, and I could have included Rocky Four. Uh, I didn't want it to become too Rocky heavy, but Rocky is my favourite of the series. But I've also got a major soft spot for Rocky Four, which is my first ever VHS video that I owned. <laughs> Brilliant. I would imagine you're a bit young to have watched it when it first came out, so you must have caught up with it later on. I think I did watch Rocky 1 before I watched Rocky 4, but Rocky 4 is the one that I've obviously in those days when you got a VHS, you would just watch it over and over again. So I know every word of Rocky 4, which is nowhere near as good a film as Rocky 1, but I just love the, the sheer audacity of claiming that Rocky solved the Cold War. Second mention of Cold War during this podcast, but yeah, the second, this one actually, Rocky solves the, the Cold War problem, doesn't he, in the mid 80s, which is quite audacious. But Rocky 1, I was too young when it first came out, but I think the, the ultimate underdog story you know dodgeball claims to be a true underdog story there's been so many rags to riches films and um, and so many haven't quite got it right but i think rocky is the ultimate american dream underdog 
film. I think, you know, well, the big break for Sylvester Stallone, you guys will know a lot more about his career than I do, but I know that he directed Rocky Four. He, he wrote Rocky One, didn't he? Yes. And won plenty of awards for it. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful, inspiring underdog film. I think the thing with Rocky is, the, certainly the first one, is all about timing. And at that point, it came out in 1976 uh, in America. And you've had, you know, the, the Vietnam War had ended just a couple of years before. You'd had Watergate, uh, the oil crisis and, and prices going up there. And everything was a massive downer in the depression of the 70s. And things started to turn. And it, it's movies like this that took almost that 1930s spirit, you know, that one person can make a difference. And you you see his rise from the obscurity he was heading to into a chance at fame, and he takes it with both hands. And for me, the thing that is, is the characters are all so real, you know, yeah. and that's what takes you along with it. Yeah, I love Creed, who obviously is now still still living on in, in films about his son. Um, yeah. And I think they've sort of regained a bit of momentum with the series because I think Rocky Five was, was terrible. Rocky Balboa, I thought, was okay, but I've actually quite enjoyed the – especially Creed One. I quite enjoyed Creed One, But the Apollo Creed memorable character, you know, Adrian, Uncle Paulie, they're great characters. And, the, and yeah, I think the first one is just – I love the fact that he doesn't win in the first one. Yeah. yeah. He just it's, And he doesn't win in Rocky Balboa either. And I think it's just that heroic effort far exceeding expectations, but not um, going over the top and giving the the, uh, the viewer exactly what they want straight away. But I think that obviously comes in Rocky 2. But I think Rocky 1, the soundtrack, you know, the, the, the iconic image of him running up the stairs and just, yeah, every, every, uh, just a just a masterpiece, I think, Rocky 1. The, um, the, funny enough, we were just chatting to somebody recently about their, their favourite films and Rocky came into that and... I said at the time, I remember going to see Rocky in the in the cinema. It was half full, I would say. And we're watching this film, and then the fight starts at the end. And by the way, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, but if you haven't seen Rocky yet, what are you doing listening to a film podcast? <laughs> and so he comes out, and you, you know, you, you've followed this guy all through this film, and he's in there with Creed. And Creed just belts the hell out of him. You know, first two, three punches, he's down, he's he's struggling. And then he starts and, you know, he hits Creed. Now, at that moment in the cinema, it exploded. People were clapping and cheering. Uh, and I'd never seen that in, in a cinema before, where, where people clap and cheer. And it happened in the first four Rocky films as well. You know, every time at the big fight at the end, People were clapping and cheering at a film. Amazing. I think the only time I've been in a, in a screen in England where the crowd has started clapping and cheering was the Star Wars uh, special edition, I think, 97, where the Death Star uh, was blown up. That was the only time I've ever seen proper cheering in, in, a, in a cinema screen at the Odeon in Cheltenham. The only time, actually, I've heard cheering or, or loud remarks in a cinema was actually Chariot of Fire. Uh, you know, at the final race in Chariots of Fire, as it's going along and it's building up, somebody behind us in the uh, in the cinema went, "Come on, come on!" <laughs> Turned around, it's this old guy, really old chap, who was stood up at the back, so into it, he just forgotten where he was. It just added it that extra dimension. The character Rocky is so strong that when we're watching Creed, 
he gets cancer. And you're thinking, this is really painful to watch. I don't know what your view on that was, John. Yeah, and is, is, uh, Adrian's obviously passed away by the time Rocky Balboa comes along, hasn't he? And he's, run, he's running the Italian restaurant, and he's, he's quite a lonely figure. Uh, but seeing Rocky, you know, refusing to get treatment or, or you know, very, being very, very reluctant to, to battle on was very strange for fans of Rocky because he's always been the one that's overcome the odds and, and battled against the odds and come from nowhere. And that was quite an interesting aspect to the, to the later films, I think. Like I said earlier, I've quite enjoyed these, these recent ones after, you know, Rocky V made me not want to watch a, another Rocky film ever again, but the recent ones, and, and I thought Rocky Balboa was respectable effort. Rocky Four was just pure cheese, but I do love it. And there's so many great one-liners in there with, with Drago, the Soviet, uh, having been such a sort of picture of health and the poster boy for for the probably the seventies and eighties, you know, a lot of a lot of people would have had a poster of him with his title belt on their wall, wouldn't they, looking a picture of health. And then to see him in, in older age struggling, I thought was quite yeah, quite well done, quite poignant. Do you think Rocky Balboa is like a quintessential sport in character? Wherever you are in your career, just never give up. Just keep giving it that extra shot. Totally. Yeah, totally, Jeff. I think he is he's one of probably arguably the best known sporting film character. I mean, there's been some, there have been some good ones and some notable boxing films that I just want to give a quick mention to. It didn't make my top five. I love Raging Bull and I love yeah. The Fighter, but I think Rocky one is the top of the pile for me. I think he's just, yeah, iconic, known around the world, made a stellar career for Stallone. I think he's arguably the the greatest sporting film fictional character of all time. Yeah, and certainly when we cover other boxing films, as you say, you talk about Raging Bull, which is uh, the complete antithesis of Rocky in that you've got a guy you really wouldn't want to be in the same room with. But there's another boxing film from the 70s, which you haven't seen it, I would strongly recommend, called Fat City. No, I haven't seen that one. Uh, Stacey Keach and Jeff Bridges, about down-and-out boxers. It's not a laugh a minute. It's, it's certainly not Rocky. But it is a tremendous film. It's directed by John Houston. It's getting a revival this year. There's a big push for it on physical media, and I imagine that will carry on. But if you get a chance, I think you'll get a real kick out of that one, John. Yeah, I'll, I'll track, track that one down, Jeff. Thanks Thanks for that recommendation. Okay. Right. Well, two good ones so far. What's number three? So number three, I love film documentaries, as hinted at before. My number three is One Night in Turin. Ooh, I haven't seen that. So this is 2010. Um, it's, again, from an ad- ad- adaptation of a book called All Played Out by Pete Davis. Um, the film One Night in Turin, directed by James Erskine, is an account of England before, during, and the legacy, really, of the 1990 World Cup, where they reached the semifinals. Okay. Okay. So what was particular about the, again, for for our listeners in other country, what, were, what was particular about, that 1990? I, I would set, go as far as saying 1990 was the turning point for the whole of football, becoming the sort of global spectacle that it is now. It's, I mean, it's always a popular sport, but I think in the 70s and 80s, it had been in the doldrums. Stadiums were falling apart. There was a lot of hooligan problems. You had the Heisel disaster. You had the Bradford fire. You had the Hillsborough disaster in 89, and it was in a bad place. And it wasn't safe, really, to, for, for people to go and watch a game and and know that they're going to be able to enjoy the football without getting involved in something they didn't want to get involved in. So 1990 was the watershed moment for me. I was 10 years old when this uh, World Cup took place. So it's sort of, it's my 
favourite World Cup because of, probably partly because of the age I was. In terms of the, the scintillating football, you compare it to other World Cups, it probably wasn't as great. The back pass rule hadn't come in, so it was a bit slower. Football has advanced since this. But I think it was the, the World Cup where England turned it round because they went into the tournament as a bit of an embarrassment, having flopped at, at the 88 European Championships, gone out in the group stage, lost to Ireland. They, they weren't in a, in a particularly good place under Bobby Robson. Now, Bobby Robson oh, kept, kept his job for 1990 and was under pressure from the start. And this book this book and this film, uh, so the book all played out, I love, and the film One Night in Turin starts off in the build-up to the 1990 World Cup with Robson being under pressure because of what happened in 88. The tabloids are on top of him. He's getting a lot of stick. They found out that he's definitely leaving after the World Cup to take the job at PSV Eindhoven. So he's going into club management. He gets a lot of criticism for that. There's no modern interviews in this documentary, which is going to become a running theme now. It's all from archive footage, but it's a fascinating insight. And I watched this in 2010, having always loved the 1990 World Cup, but it, it, it took me to places where I never thought I'd get to see within the England camp, behind the scenes, things that went on that I didn't know about. And even somebody that considers themselves to be quite an expert on the 1990 World Cup, I... I came out of I went to watch it in Leicester Square. I made a special event of it. I went to London and watched it in the Empire at Leicester Square and it didn't disappoint. I came out, you know, feeling on cloud nine that I, you know, it's it so much nostalgia, but I also learned loads of new things about that, that tournament, which is my favourite football World Cup. Why do you think there's no new interviews on this then? Is it because it's so controversial or not? I actually prefer, um, and I don't want to give too much away, but my next two choices are the same. I prefer documentaries that don't have a formal commentary. They have purely, you know, obviously you have to have the, the footage and the, the access, but I, I think it's brilliantly done, uh, brilliantly put together based on interviews that were carried out at the time. So it takes you through press conferences. You, sh- you see some highlights of the matches, or there's not a huge amount of, of action on the pitch. The bits they do show work really well. It's done really artistically and it's really, really impactful the key moments from the games that people will want to see, but they don't overdo it with the actual football. It's more scenes from behind the, the camp at the England Hotel, messing about by the pool. Paul Gascoigne, you know, just burst onto the scene. People certainly of a certain age will remember Gaza's tears in that World Cup. You know, it's one of my big early football memories was Gaza um, getting booked in the semi-final, so he would have missed the final if England had got through. Yeah. Um, but they obviously lost on penalties and it, you know, it was, a, it was a heroic defeat. They came back as heroes. Gaza was suddenly a world superstar. The documentary is narrated by Gary Oldman, who is unbelievable, one of my favourite actors, and he does a great job with this narration. And it just stirred every emotion, really, and took me back to being a probably a 10-year-old just falling in love with football. So it's interesting that Gary Oldman's narrating it because around this time, 1990, is when he made The Firm, which yeah. is not really... A strong advert for football in this country. No, there's. I mean, I, I considered including a couple of football hooligan films in my choices because I. There's been a lot made, some good, some bad, but I think the Football Factory is a reasonable attempt at a good football hooligan film, but very entertaining. The Firm, I like Green Street. I think it's terrible. Yeah, I've I've got that slightly wrong earlier when I said there's no formal commentary. There's no formal commentary on the next two, but with this one, there is actually narration from Oldman. And he he he's brilliant. I I didn't actually realise it was him until I checked afterwards when I first watched it. But I recognised the voice and I thought this this guy's good. This guy's good. And uh, he he you know, he he just yeah adds another dimension to it. But it's it's just brilliantly done. The soundtrack is great. Yeah, it's seen as a turning point for the sport and certainly for the for the England team. 
the next big thing probably after that was Euro 96 because they did have another a few years of struggle where they in 92 they didn't do very well in the Euros in 94 they didn't even qualify so unfortunately after Robson left they uh, they struggled under Graham Taylor but then Euro 96 again was a huge moment for the country and a huge moment for English football but I think 1990 World Cup was when they went from being a bit of an embarrassment to you know having a team that we could be proud of again and I think it was responsible for for um what we see now with the Premier League and the how big a thing it's become over the last 30 years or so. Yeah. It it is a thankless job though being England manager. Impossible job, really, because of the expectations, but Rob Robson could have left that tournament at, you know in disgrace really after what happened in 88, but he he turned it around and left a hero. There's there's other little things within the tournament. So um I don't know if any either of you have uh, heard the story about Gary Lineker having a little accident on the pitch in the opening game against Ireland. He, uh, he had a dodgy pasta the night before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that... <laughs> he gets tweeted that every single bloody day, poor guy. Yeah. So that that, that was obviously in the tournament. But in- England scraped through the group. Then they, they beat Belgium with a last-minute goal from David Platt in extra time. Then they beat Cameroon in an absolute thriller, 3-2. Cameroon were the first African team to get to the quarterfinals. There was a great, you know, it was a great entertaining game. And then there was the Germany game. I think it was their last year as West Germany before the, the unified. So they were still West Germany then. And that, that was an epic game that England played well. And, you know, I think it had a huge impact on, on people in this country, that, that Gaza moment, you know, Gaza's tears. First time England got anywhere near winning it since 66. So that was England's best performance on foreign soil until 2018 when they also got to the semifinals. So, yeah, I think it's partly down to the age I was and the, the memories that it brought back. I probably would have just been going towards secondary school and, when this tournament happened in the summer of 1990. Great tournament. And I think because of that, I think I, I went into it with very high expectations and I, I, I'd i been very upset if they messed it up, but they did a great job of, of not only bringing the book to life, but also with the music used, the choices of songs and you know some happy Mondays in there and things like that. It was, yeah, it just took, just took me back to, as I said earlier, falling in love with football and I've, you know, although I love other sports as well, football's my you know number one passion, and I'd say a lot, a big part of that is the nineteen ninety World Cup. Right, that's all gone on my to watch list now. Yeah, definitely, I've just put it on. Yeah, wow. Okay, so uh, another documentary at number two then. Yeah, the number two documentary is Diego Maradona from twenty nineteen. <laughs> Right. That's still on my um, watch list. Yeah, I've, I've had loads of people recommend that as well and say, oh, you've got to watch this, Graham. So Asif, right. Asif Kapadia directed, having sort of grown reputation from Amy and, and uh, Senna. And he, again, I think pulls off a, a brilliant piece of filmmaking here. With a, So there's no narration on this one. This is purely from archive footage that, that had been unseen for 30-odd years, because the, the main focus of this documentary is his move from Barcelona to Napoli and the impact he had on that the whole city, really, of Naples when he, he went there, there in the doldrums. He led them to two Serie A titles and a UEFA Cup win. Fascinating insight into the impact he made on the whole city, how much attention there was on him as the best player in the world at the time when he moved from Barcelona to Naples. Obviously, since since I watched this, Maradona has passed away, which probably makes it even more... Uh, poignant but when I watched it when it first came out watched it at the watershed cinema in Bristol and again went in there hoping that they would live up to my expectations just like one night in Turin went in there with you know having followed Maradona closely throughout his career and enjoyed watching him and 
enjoyed hating him when he punched the ball into the net. And because although 1990 was my first sort of real World Cup, I do vaguely remember the 86 Hand of God incident. You can't help but love him as well, even though he cheated with that incident. He then scores one of the best goals of all time in the same game. The thing is, John, being Welsh, I have a different view on that. (laughs) (laughs) You can add Pele, Messi and Ronaldo in, but Maradona's certainly probably up there. Arguably the best footballer of all time, but certainly in one of the top four. So again, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant piece of documentary making and just great storytelling about that unbelievable spell that he had in Napoli where he, he turned them from nothing into champions of Italy on two occasions. It's extremely sad. You get some of these really talented football players who are fantastic on the pitch, but you take them off a pitch and then a car crash waiting to happen. Maradona with some of his personal problems, George Best with him. We mentioned Paul Gascoigne earlier as well. It's just like they have perfection in one area and they just can't replicate it elsewhere. I mean, it's tragic. Yeah, I think Brian Clough as well, wasn't he? He had he had his problems certainly later on mm. in his career. Yeah, flawed genius. You know, as far as I know, Pele probably the greatest of all time. He he always you know conducted himself and managed to, despite the the attention that would have been on him as a seventeen year old. I don't think he he had any major issues throughout his career and managed to sort of stay on the straight and narrow. But Maradona, but that's what I love about the film. You see the the other sides. You know, you see the off the field personality of Maradona and some of the things that he got up to and. But you also see this guy that wants to be a dedicated professional. You know, there's loads of footage of him doing extra work in the in the gym on the treadmill, trying to sort of put the balance back in his favour when he's obviously not particularly been dedicated with his diet or his, you know, his drink consumption or his drug consumption. You, you see, you know, football is his number one love, but he he did have demons. There's no doubt about that. And the film, I think, just does a brilliant job of bringing out his. That, that conflict with his personality and the, the, the flawed genius. That, that sounds interesting. I like those films where you you see the person, they've got this central thing in their life, but they've got other things pulling them away and they keep trying to get back to that. This is my focus. This is what I need to concentrate on. This is my talent and gift uh, and all, the, you know, and they're trying to pull themselves back. Oh, right, that's going on the list as well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's like I said earlier, I could listen to Brian Clough uh, talking mm. about all all day, you know, never tire of it. I could read books about him and just fascinated with him. With Maradona, you, you see him doing keep uppers with a golf ball and a tennis ball and just making it look easy. And he, he just, it, it was all one foot, really. He was all left foot. Uh, he, was yeah. right, he, he, he was quite a short guy, quite stocky, bit of a barrel sort of shape. But once he got on the ball, you just couldn't stop him. He, he was the best dribbler of all time. You know, Messi's probably the, the closest anyone's come. But Maradona led his country to a World Cup win. And that's, again, um, why I think that he, he's slightly ahead of Messi. Messi hasn't hasn't had any success with Argentina, whereas Maradona was the standout player in what was otherwise not a great team, and they won the 86. World Cup got to the final in 1990. By 94, he was, you know, testing positive for cocaine use during the tournament. But in 86, he was, that was his zenith. Um, and that came around the time where this some of this um, documentary was being the footage is coming from you know mid eighties when he was in, in Napoli and just do, proving really that he was the best player on the planet. Wow, 
have to go back. Have to go back. Yeah. You, uh, you know, I, I know, I know Maradona, and and you, but the, you time stretches things out. You you forget about how really, really good he is. You know, and and I, you know, the minute you said his left foot, I said, oh, that's right. I'm, I was thinking that's right. He, you know, the right foot was only there to make up the pair, wasn't it? He yeah. was just so good with his left foot, and just ran through defenses like they weren't there. It's yeah. I remember watching him and thinking. There's something different about this guy. And it was the point that he kept his head up. He was looking where he was going because he didn't need to look at his feet or look at the ball because he, he <laughs> knew where that was instinctively. And people were coming at him and he was just going round them. And that's the first time I'd really seen that head up, confident in their own personal skills. And I, I for my birthday a few years ago, my son took me to Barcelona to watch um, Messi. And he, again, that's the same thing. He never looks at his feet. He just goes. And, he, and the other thing, of course, is that he's made of gyroscopes. He just can't be, he can't knock him over. He just keeps going. You know, it's just, yeah. When you see footballers of that class, you think, yeah, there is something very, very different. They're not just a little bit ahead of other footballers. It's a huge step up. These guys are, you know, yeah. really exceptional, exceptional. Yeah. And Pele, same, yeah. Totally agree, Graham. Yeah, you've got, you've got Michael Jordan with basketball. You've got oh, uh, Muhammad yeah. Ali boxing. And then I think in his day, Maradona was, you know, that good in terms of compared to the rest in, in, the, in that era. He was streets ahead, as you said. It was just, the ball was just glued to his left foot and yeah. yeah, just made it look easy. But you do see from this documentary that he did put hours and hours extra in to try and, to try and make the most of his talent and, and get himself fit. Um, probably wasn't a natural athlete really. And certainly with the way that he led his life away from football, he wasn't always, as I said, dedicated pro, but he, it was his number one love, you know, that, that was, that meant more to him than anything else. And very sadly lost now since, since this film came out, but it, yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah, I, I, def, I definitely recommend it. And the, the thing about one night in Turin and Diego Maradona, I think even if you're not a huge football fan, even if you've got no interest in the 1990 world cup or, or Maradona's time at Napoli, I think the way that the films are made, you, you can't help but be enthralled by them. And that's all about story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's the story that roll, that winds you in and gets you interested in it. And then you don't care. It could be, it could be about anything, but you're you're invested in the people. Yeah, that's great. So, so where do you guys sit on Ronaldo? I, I think he's the second best player in the world at the moment. One of the best of all time, but Messi, for me, is, is number one at the moment. Yeah. In terms, I think he's more naturally talented. I think Ronaldo's a machine who's worked tirelessly to get every single drop of quality and, and skill out of his, his potential. Probably the, one of the hardest working sports people of all time. And he is a phenomenon, but I think Messi is just graceful, effortless. He isn't built in a gym. He, you know, he is, as Graham said, he is strong and much stronger than you think he would be for a guy of his size. He's got this, this talent that you just cannot teach somebody or you cannot learn. He's made the most of his talent, but I think, I'd rather pay to watch Messi than, than Ronaldo. Uh, although, yeah. you know, some people when, in the debate, you know, about the two will, will go against the other one. I think they're both wonderful players. And I'm certainly not saying Ronaldo isn't one of the best of all time, but I, I've I'm always preferred Messi. To, yeah. yeah, in your view. And, and you say the same, Graham, yeah? The first time I saw him, my, my son sent me a, a YouTube video and said, Dad, you've got to have a look at this guy. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, right, fine. I was busy doing something else. I clicked on it and I watched him and I just, I just couldn't take my eye off him. The, everything else on the screen just disappeared. And I thought, 
this guy's a genius. I have never seen anybody play this well. And, and of course, because Jeff and I are in our 60s, the game is about a million times faster these days than it was when we were watching football as kids. So the game is incredibly fast and, and the skill is now off the chart, you know. But seeing him run at the defense at full pelt and be in control, and as I said, had his head up, I just could not believe what I was watching. And I spent a good half hour, I was meant to be doing something else, I spent a good half hour going backwards and forwards through this four-minute clip, just watching this kid, you know, and it's just phenomenal. And he's had all he's had all sorts of problems with, he had to have growth hormone and all sorts of things because he was very small. But he just, he doesn't, he doesn't fall over, you know, he just, plows through defences with speed and skill, and that's a rare talent. Sheer joy, isn't it? Sheer joy to watch it him. It's an absolute joy to watch. And you think, what? Hang on, i got to rewind that. Did he? Good God. Yeah, he nutmegged that guy and the next guy, and he went round that guy. And I was just like, wow. And then buried it up in the top right-hand corner with a millimetre either side between the woodwork. And you think, how can you do that at that speed? Okay, we've reached that moment in the show. Yep. Time for number one. I'm apologies for the lack of variety here, guys, but it's the same director at Asif Kapadia, <laughs> and it's the 2010 or released in 2011 in the UK. Senna is my favourite sports film of all time. He'll be ranked among the all time greats. How do you feel about being world champion? It's not a bad feeling at all, is it? <laughs> wow. That is, yeah. I've actually seen that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's extremely powerful. The thing that struck me with it when I was watching it is how they managed to get hold of that, you know, behind the scenes footage when they're doing their, their talk throughs about the racing, the drivers having their comments about the tracks. It's unbelievable, isn't it? What they actually discuss and then what actually unfolds yeah. on the track over the next few days is just, you know, shocking. I, I just the, the reason why I love this so much is because it's got the the rivalry with Prost, which is great. You know, the, a lot of you know good sports films have got a great rivalry. So you've got Clough against Revy, you've got Rocky against Creed, you know Maradona against the world. Everyone trying to stop him. But with with Senna, it's the Senna Prost rivalry. It's you know if you're an F1 fan, you know what's coming at the end. You know it's going to be a tragic ending. But I I still. So I, I used to be quite a, a keen F1 fan. Um, I've lo- I have lost interest in it a little bit in recent years. I don't find it as exciting now, um, although I still keep an eye on it. I think around the time of probably Schumacher's dominance, I, I started to drift off a little bit. I was in the Senna and Prost days and Nigel Mansell, Damon Hill. I would be, you know, watch it religiously on TV. And Senna is the, the, the F1 equivalent of Maradona, I think, and, you know, the greatest talent Although Schumacher's won more races and Hamilton's won more races, I think Senna obviously was cut down in his prime, but I think he's the most talented driver of all time. And again, this similar style, same director as Diego Maradona. It's all done from archive footage. It's all done from contemporary interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff. And and just the, the meetings that they were having before two drivers died in successive days at one Grand Prix is just shocking, uh, moving. Uh, the, the conversations that he had with his doctor just quit quit now and come and come fishing with me just before his crash which ended his life um, in 1994 it's just again t- took me through on all sorts of emotions brought back 
the memories of when it happened, but taught me so much more about it than I didn't that I didn't know already. So again, same director as, as my number two choice, but this guy is a, a genius. And Amy, I haven't seen Amy, um, which is on my list because that's the the non sporting documentary film that he has been given so much um, praise for. So that's something that I need to to tick off, and I'm sure I'll enjoy that as well. But based on these two sporting films that he's done, uh, that you know they are the, the best I've seen. The the thing with both this and Amy is it's warts and all. You know, you, you see all sides of it. It it isn't designed to, to glamorize the person that you know, the headline person that it's about. It shows everything in there. And Senna could be testy and all of that is is captured in the film. But also you get with that the the raw talent that this guy had. It's an amazing and powerful film. Yeah, found the the, Prost, the way that Prost, uh, you know, the, the the relationships they had, and the, the way that they they were close, and that they 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 in the end they had that sort of almost begrudging, but then mutual respect for each other. The two the two greatest in the world at the time was was fascinating, and you know, my top ten films of all time. I'm not sure how many of sports films would be in it, but I think Senna would be. So I have to say that most of my favourite films have got nothing to do with sport at all. I, I do. I generally think there's a lot of poor films made about sport, and that sort of goes back to the point, Jeff, you made about is there actually a such thing as a sports film? I think there are a lot of bad ones. I quite enjoy the you know some of the comedies like Happy Gilmore, um, Space Jam, Mean Machine have, have entertained me and things like that. But when it comes to you know what every film do really take you through all the emotions, so it makes you laugh, cry, it leaves you stunned leave you speechless. You come out just feeling almost like you've been on an emotional roller coaster. Senna is the best, you know, in my opinion that I've ever seen is he wasn't as flawed as Maradona, certainly, but he, you know, definitely had, uh, like you said, his flaws and he, he could be a difficult character, but similar to Maradona, it meant the world to him. What he lived for was, was racing and he just couldn't stop himself. You see footage in this film of, of cars basically flying just taking off. Yeah. It was so unsafe. It was unbelievable what they were getting away with at this point. It made it exciting, but it was, you know, people's lives were at risk and Roland Ratzenberger died on the Saturday in testing. And then the next day, Senna dies at Imola. You know, you learn a bit more about the actual mechanics of what went wrong and how unlikely it was that that incident would have killed him. But I think the steering column actually came and sort of hit him directly in the head. Otherwise he would have, he didn't have a scratch, scratch on his body as he was airlifted away, but his his, his head had, had undergone such an impact that he was uh, sadly couldn't be revived. So it's just all the emotions possible and just brilliant, brilliant storytelling. As Graham said, it's all about good storytelling and yep. captivating throughout, brilliantly done. And, and I think because I love Senna so much, I went into Maradona with high expectations and it was very similarly done with the, the archive footage and the no commentary. Unlike one night in Turin that has Oldman, this, these two were just, it's just happening. I don't know if either of you seen Apollo 11. Um, yes. Again, yeah. I, I love that. I absolutely love that. And again, it's just all from the time, isn't it? It's all, and you just wonder with all these, these documentaries that I love, how, how did they get that footage? Is this actually real? <laughs> Have they somehow computer generated this, but it's actually taken at the time. Probably. I think some of the, the Maradona certainly some of the footage was just left in a basically in a you know in a car boot for twenty years nobody even thought about it and then they bring it out turn it into this brilliant brilliant documentary film and what what I love is when I go in it's just a personal thing I think when I go in feeling like a, I know a lot about a subject and still learn a huge amount from a film uh, they, they've done they've done a good job 
That is the best. Where, yeah, when you think, I, I know this. And then you go, oh, really? <laughs> oh, and, and then you, then he's got you. Yeah. The director has got you, hasn't he? And then, let me take you along this path, this journey. And you, you have to, and you're just going, wow, wow, didn't know that. Oh, good grief. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense now. I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. 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 I think one of those films that did that for me was Welcome to Columbine. Yes. Yeah, I know guns are bad, and I know that, you know, all of this. And and then, yeah, it takes me down a path I didn't expect to go. That's right. Well, one thing, and certainly from your last three choices, that, that I'm really pleased with is how easy it is now to see, when they're back open, documentaries in cinema. Oh, good point, yeah. I'd you know, yeah. You, whereas in the past this wouldn't happen, but now you can get to a cinema I mean, I saw, yeah, I saw Senna in a cinema. Um, and as you said, John, I think you saw all three of those in cinemas, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. And, yeah, I did. So the only one of my five choices that I didn't see at the cinema was the, the original Rocky. But all the others I went to watch at the cinema, and then I've obviously watched them uh, many times since. But that's, you know, I fell in love with them on the big screen. Brilliant. Well, that's five fantastic choices. And to any of you listening, if you haven't seen them, would urge you to to check them out. I know I'm going to be checking out the ones I haven't seen. <laughs> I, I was wondering because you you know I don't think there's that many films that you haven't seen probably between you, but uh, I, <laughs> no, I, there, are, <laughs> there are millions. <laughs> um, I, I just want to give a mention to The Edge, which was a, another one I watched recently about the England Test cricket team. Um, a brilliant, another brilliant documentary. This one I watched on um, on streaming service on a on a small screen, but that that was a great, also a great documentary about the the mental struggle of being a test match cricketer on tour and, and that sort of thing. And that was brilliant. And I, I do love a good film documentary as my, as three of my five choices show, but <laughs> there's a lot of bad films about football. When Saturday comes probably being the, the prime example. <laughs> Sean Bean. Uh, I could top that. Yesterday's hero with Ian McShane. <laughs> Ever you can catch it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll take that off the list. <laughs> Talk, talking pictures as it is, so it is free to air at the moment. If you never, if you want to see it, that is. No, thank you. <laughs> your movie views you're a great, and I would also say that your sports reporting is great as well. So, so where can people read your sports report and follow you on Twitter? How can they do that, John? Very kind of you to say, Jeff. So I I work for Gloucestershire Live primarily, so you can read my Chelton Town coverage on GloucestershireLive.co.uk. All my coverage will be also on Twitter, which is at John Palmer Sports. So if you've got any interest in Gloucestershire sport or you know football in particular, but there are there is some other stuff on there. Uh, it's at John Palmer Sport, and uh, you know love to hear from anyone who wants to let me know what they think of anything to do with sport in the county. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you today, John. And uh, when all this COVID uh, is over, I'll look forward to meeting up in person and getting you that drink I owe you. That would be great, Jeff. I've, yeah, it's great to have a chat with you both. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I think I'm going to stick one of these films on tonight and, uh, you know, enjoy watching one of them again. 